You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. So from the time that they went in to the time that they were a part of the Exodus, some 430 years later, they went from a number of 100 people to at least 2 million people. So what am I getting at? Well, what's the point? Well, think about it. This is a faithful testimony to the reality of God's care for his people in a hostile environment during difficult times. Have you ever felt like God wasn't there during a difficult time in your life? In today's message, Pastor Mike speaks about how even in times of difficulty, God's word spread amongst the people in Egypt. Over the course of only a few hundred years, they had increased in number from only a hundred to at least two million. Even when difficulties arose within Egypt, God's people never dwindled. They kept faith in God, even if he wasn't always apparent. We need to do the same, because that's what faith is. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis, chapter 47, as he begins his message, Blessings in the Most Unexpected Places. Turn with me to where we left off last time. That would be in Genesis chapter 47. And the text that we're going to be treating this morning is found in verses 13 through 27. So Genesis 47 verses 13 through 27. Let's go ahead and read that text of scripture. So listen, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, I guess uh, this is no surprise to any of you. If you've been walking with the Lord now for any length of time, you know, that's the business that God is in. And often he blesses us in the most uh, least expected places, right? God just shows up. And, uh, you know, we weren't planning on receiving a blessing. In fact, we thought that uh, it would be absolutely impossible for God uh, to bless us in our particular situation, our struggles, our difficulties. But, you know, there's no restrictions with God. And, uh, And so really that's what this morning's message is all about. So anyway, with that said, let's go ahead and read that text, and then I'll set the stage for this morning's uh, study. So Genesis chapter 47, beginning in verse 13. Now, there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very severe. Now remember, going back to our previous uh, study, when Pharaoh dreamt a dream, Joseph interpreted that dream. Actually, there were two dreams that Pharaoh had dreamed, and uh, the first one had to do with a 
period of seven years of plenty, and then followed by another seven years of famine. And so Joseph counsels Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, that during the seven years of uh, plenty, that they should store up all of the food, all of the resources, all of the seed, you know, everything that would be necessary to sustain them during the seven years of famine, which were to follow. So just in case you weren't aware of that or you weren't here for that message or this is the first time here or you haven't been around for the last couple of weeks, I just thought that I would mention that. So Joseph had stockpiled food and grain during the seven years of plenty. But now we're right in the middle of the seven years of famine. So I just wanted to say that to set the stage for this morning's message. Let's read verse 13 again. Now there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. So it was pretty widespread. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. So people, not only in Egypt, but from all of the surrounding areas and nations, came down to Egypt because that was the only uh, nation that had any food. You know, it was really a matter of, uh, uh, you know, uh, supply and demand. And there was supply down in Egypt and in Egypt alone. And so Joseph uh, had taken advantage of this opportunity to enrich uh, Pharaoh's uh, treasury. Now, in verse 15, so when the money failed in the land of Egypt, because they didn't have any money left, because all of the money was spent in purchasing the food necessary to sustain them during the years of famine, and also in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in your presence? For the money has failed. We don't have any money left. Then Joseph said, okay, reasoning with them, give your livestock and I will give you bread for your livestock if the money is gone. So now they're bartering for food in the, uh, in the exchange for their livestock. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, who, by the way, is now the prime minister, there in Egypt, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for their horses, flocks, cattle of the herds, and for the donkeys. Thus he fed them with bread in exchange for all their livestock that year. Okay, so now another year of the famine has passed, but it's not completed, it's not finished. Verse 18, when that year had ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, we will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. My Lord also has our herds of livestock. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our lands. So now they're going to use that to barter uh, for uh, the food that's necessary to sustain them. Verse 19, why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for bread. And we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. Then Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for every man of the Egyptians sold his field, 
because the famine was severe upon them. And so the land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he moved them into the cities from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other end. Only the land of the priests, that is the priests of Egypt, he did not buy, for the priests had rations allotted to them by Pharaoh. And they ate their rations, which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their lands. Then Joseph said to the people, Indeed, I have bought you and your land this day for Pharaoh. Look, here is your seed for you, and you shall sow the land or plant the seed. And it shall come to pass in the harvest that you shall give one-fifth to Pharaoh. Four-fifths shall be your own as seed for the field and for your food for those of your households, and as food for your little ones. And so they said, you have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt to this day that Pharaoh should have one-fifth, except for the land of the priests only, which did not become Pharaoh's. And then lastly, in verse 27, and this is probably the most significant verse of this entire text, So Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt. Notice, it's really a a picture in comparison, if you will. Uh, Think of it in relationship to Egypt versus Israel. So Israel, verse 27, dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions there and grew and multiplied exceedingly. Okay, so... With verses 13 through 26 as its backdrop, verse 27, as I've already alluded to, becomes particularly interesting. Verses 13 through 26, let's go back, describe Joseph's treatment of the Egyptians during the famine. The Egyptians ending the famine years, notice, as debtors. They're in bondage. They had lost everything, their land, their cattle, their property. All that they had was traded for that food that was necessary for their survival. While on the other hand, and remember I mentioned that this is a picture in contrast, that's Egypt. But now we have Israel. While Israel ended the same period, the seven years of famine, according to, notice, go back to our text in verse 27, as free men, and they're thriving. They're increasing in every way possible. They experienced extraordinary growth in numbers. In fact, just a little bit of Bible trivia here. Uh, During the beginning of the famine, remember when Joseph is elevated through an unusual series of circumstances to second only to Pharaoh, as the prime minister there in Egypt, as he's standing before his brothers, and finally he reveals himself to them, and then he beckons them to go back to the land of Canaan to bring back their dad, Jacob, so that he might be sustained with all the other members of the family. In all, there was a hundred that left the land of Canaan that initially went down to Egypt. So think about that. Uh, I mean... In comparison, it was a small group of people, a hundred in all. So it was estimated that when they went down to Egypt, there was only a hundred that made up the entire nation of Israel. And then think of that in comparison to at the end of the 
time uh, at the Exodus, some 430 years later, they grew in number to over, it was been estimated, 2 million. So they went from 100 initially going down to Egypt to a number, and it, you know, it's only been estimated that that was only taken into consideration of the men that were there in Egypt. So it wouldn't allow for, as a part of that estimation of population, the women or children. So it has been suggested that possibly three million people were a part of the exodus. So from the time that they went in to the time that they were a part of the exodus, some 430 years later, they went from a number of 100 people to at least 2 million people. So what am I getting at? Well, what's the point? Well, think about it. This is a faithful testimony to the reality of God's care for his people in a hostile environment during difficult times. Now, we're not here, and we're not interested in some history lesson. That's not why we've encouraged you to be here this morning. We want to find the personal application of this subject in our own lives. Therein lies the value. How does this relate to you? How does this relate to me? Well, what about you? What are you going through right now in your life's experience? Does your particular situation seem impossible for you? Some kind of a famine. You fill in the blank. Some difficulty. Uh, the loss of uh, a job. Uh, some sickness. The loss of a loved one. Whatever. Again, you fill in the, the blank. Exactly what is it that's going on in your life? And does that situation seem impossible to you? Well, you know, God, as I mentioned before, is in the business of just showing up during those particular times. And you can be sure that no matter all of those things that seem to be working against us, when our backs are up against the wall, when we don't see any possible solution and answer for those struggles, difficulties, problems that we encounter in our life's experience, you can be sure that even as Israel, during a very difficult time, we're talking about a famine, there's no food to eat, you will also be kept free, you will be kept fruitful, and you will be multiplying in spite of any worldly pressures that may come upon us. And it doesn't have to be under ideal conditions for us to flourish as well. Just on the simple basis of your being a child of God, making that commitment to Christ. You know, I mean, a part of making that commitment is, if you think about it, we're asking the Lord to come, take control over our lives. And as I say over and over and over again, make no mistake about that. When you pray that prayer, he does, in fact, come and will take control over your life. He will take ownership over, over you, and he'll provide for you. You can be sure of that. That's the business, as I mentioned, that he is in. And so it doesn't matter what kind of an economy may exist right now. Your company is downsizing. You've gotten your pink slip. You don't know what you're going to do for work. You don't know how you're going to make your payments. You don't know how you're going to continue to pay for your children's education. You don't know how you're going to make your mortgage 
uh, payments. You look at the general scene within our culture and our society, and as a Christian, it seems like ungodliness is increasing. It seems like Christianity is being weakened, you know? You know, all of these things, as we consider them, that would, you know, as we respond to them initially, would cause us great anxiety. They shouldn't at all. You know what? As Christians, you know, we're, we're not just another statistic. And uh, those things that I've just mentioned, like the economy, your company is downsizing, you lost your job, uh, you have no way to pay your bills, you know, that may wipe out some other person. And you may be facing that same kind of a, a thing in your place of employment or whatever. But uh, the truth of the matter is you're not just another statistic. God's going to provide for you. He's going to provide for you in a variety of different ways. If you lose your job, well, you know, it becomes God's responsibility to give you a new one. And if he's going to give you a new one, it'll probably be better than the one that you lost. And we, we just have that hope and we have that assurance. No matter what's going on, you're not just another statistic. And, and that's just one of the wonderful perks of being a child of God, being a believer. Now, just a little bit of another bit of Bible trivia. The phrase that we have often uh, come across, particularly here in our study in the book of Genesis, the phrase, be fruitful and multiply, occurs no less than 12 times in this book of the Bible. Uh, let me cite a couple of those examples for you. After God created the birds, the fish, and the animals, right in the very first chapter, chapter 1 and verse uh, 22, God instructs them to be fruitful and to multiply. And then after that, creating man and woman, also in chapter 1 and verse 28, the first man, the first woman, Adam and Eve, in chapter 1 and verse 28, he then instructs them to be fruitful and to multiply. And so the animals were to increase in number, and so were the people. You know, by the way, some refer to this as the creation ordinance. I don't know if you knew that or not. They just simply refer to it as the creation ordinance. That is God's instruction to be fruitful and to multiply. But you know what? This was thwarted when sin entered in. Because think about it. Sin always shuts down the work that God wants to do in an individual's life. And, and by the way, I think I, I ought to just take some time out to, to uh, uh, ask you this uh, question. Has sins of omission in your own life stopped you from experiencing God's best? Remember, God had instructed the animals and then the first man and woman to be fruitful and multiply. That's what God wants for his kids. That's what God wants for that which he has created. And the only thing that would stand in the way of that taking place is sins of omission. You know, the choices that we make, you see. Because sin does separate us from God and the work that God wants to do within our lives. He wants to bless you. He wants to provide for you. He wants to protect you. All of the things that we're talking about this morning. And you're your worst enemy because you've chosen the sin. It's the sin factor. Sin enters in and thwarts the purposes of God. So let me ask you this question uh, once again. Has sins of omission in your life stopped you 
from experiencing God's best. Think about it. Where are you right now? Could things be so much better than they actually are? You know, if you were just finally gotten together with God's program and just completely surrendered your life. You know, but we do just the opposite. We're holding on to the things of the world or, you know, our, our favorite or pet sins. And we think that, oh, man, these things, they bring us so much satisfaction. And, you know, God, you're just going to have to, uh, you know, uh, we'll give you 80% of our lives. But that other 20% we're going to hang on to. And, and, and we think we're doing ourselves a favor. But the truth of the matter is we're just working against ourselves. God has so much more for us, something that's so much better, you know? So don't allow sin. Deal with sin within your lives. Experience God's blessing uh, to its full. So think about it now. The race increased, but the culture that resulted was godless. They considered themselves sophisticated, industrious, but they were violent. They were indulgent. And the truth of the matter was, fewer would have been better. Now, how do we know this? Well, this was a judgment that God made himself by sending the flood. He says, enough is enough. The stench of the people's sin came up before God as a remembrance, and he was going to wipe them out and do a completely new thing altogether. You see, the human race, rather than ruling over creation... Right, it was given, you know, uh, God, after creating the physical universe, he, he, he told them to, uh, you know, use it for their advantage. Take advantage of all of the uh, creation, all that I had created. It was for good. But the human race, rather than ruling over creation, began to abuse it. They actually, if you think about it, began to rape it. They begin to worship creation rather than the God who made it. They worship creation rather than the creator. Listen, a decrease in idolaters would have been better. So, again, the instruction by God, be fruitful and multiply. So think about that. You know, I think really Satan was winning the struggle for world dominion here early on in the history of mankind. I mean, think about the flood. Only eight people were able to enter the ark. Who were they? Noah, his wife, the three sons, and their wives. Where's this whole thing? Be fruitful and multiply. There's only eight people left, right, on the face of the earth. You know, it just seems like the people of God would soon perish off of the face of the earth. But God is so faithful. God continued to make this promise to his people, like, for example, Abraham. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. When you look back at your life, what moments stand out to you? There are probably some pretty great ones, getting married, having kids, graduations, and celebrations. But I imagine there are also a few you'd rather not remember. The ones that come back to run through your head at night as you try to fall asleep. When we take a look at the stories of some of the Genesis characters, 
We see it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. These people you meet made their fair share of mistakes, but that didn't disqualify them from being used by God. God built a nation from human beings who were far from perfect. And guess what? He wants to use you too. God has a plan for your life, and you can faithfully follow Him in the way He has made for you. You can be forgiven of your sins and start fresh, remembering the faithfulness of God since the beginning of time. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today in the Word with Pastor Mike Venizio and in my Father's house. This program is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. Check us out online at harvestnyc.org. There you'll find service times and our easy-to-find location. We have easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Come by and see us. If you aren't close enough to drop by, you can find links to our online streaming and more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. Thank you for joining us today. We're out of time for now, but come back and feast on the Word with us next time in My Father's House. Oh, my heart, not be troubled.